0: Recently, I had the honour of spending some quality time with the inimitable Jackie Graham, She's a fellow Brummy who shot to fame in the 1980s with her catchy, super successful brand of popular soul. A true trailblazer in the music industry in the 80s, Jackie has earned a place in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the first black British female solo artist to have six consecutive top 10 and top 20 hits, which at the time was unheard of by a black British female. And she shared a lot with me and I'm thrilled to be able to bring this podcast to you, um, story of working with iconic singers, of dealing with fame whilst raising a family, about how her husband Tony, who's been by her side from day one, I should say, and daughter Natalie, they're both pivotal to guiding Jackie's career. And you'll also hear what she's up to now. I got her to reveal some juicy tidbits about future projects. It's all there. It's a brilliant listen. So all you've got to do is sit back, relax and enjoy the next 40 minutes of fun with Jackie Graham on Quintessential Voices. Sitting here in Malmaison Bar in Birmingham, so, so excited because... This lady influenced me hugely in the 1980s when I was a teenager listening to her incredible music and seeing her as a real breakout black female. British soul singer, she was such an inspiration, Jackie Graham. Oh, oh my darling. goodness, so good oh, to see you. Bless your heart, Marie. You know, we, we got
1: we're gonna talk, darling. I got so much to. Think. But you know, back then you're saying that was a very nice introduction. But back then, girlfriend, I, I wasn't even looking at it like that. I'm just thinking, ooh, all of a sudden, you know, you you go to all these places and doing the TV shows and stuff like that, and I'm thinking pinch me, pinch me, and things institutions like Top of the Pops and you know all those other icon TV shows, and then and I got to to be a part of it. I'm thinking, wow. And I never looked at myself as, I was, looking back now, I I realized that it was hard for us back then, as British, and especially female, black female, in the industry, because, there by the grace of God, thank you all, everybody that's listening has, has helped me to get to where I am, right? And if it wasn't for you lot, because the record company never believed in me, so, you know, I was, you know, they were... EMI, I was assigned to, and they were a British um, pop-orientated, rock-orientated record label. They didn't know what to do with you know, British soul, which is what we were you know, classed as back then. So yes, I've probably gone ahead with you, but you know, you, 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 we'll
0: talk, girlfriend, we'll talk. <laughs> Very exciting. We're going to go back to um, some of your brilliant success, um, which started in the 80s. And everyone will remember you, you know, set me free, round and around, uh, step right up. The big, big tunes. that We always saw you singing on Top of the Pops when Top of the Pops was the biggest music show ever. So describe to me what that was like. You know, you alluded to it. It must have been such a whirlwind. And to know that when you just said that the record company didn't quite know how you were going to turn out and you were selling records by the bucket load. What was the experience
1: like? You know something, um, Maureen. Back then, right? Uh, you know, I came on the scene. Everybody said, "Oh, an overnight success." But you know, I was born and bred in Birmingham. You know, this is my hometown, and I'm not far from it. I've always stayed close to to Birmingham because my home. But, but to to think that, I really used to just. I was doing gigs for like ten or twelve years before I even got spotted, and the reason how I got spotted was I did a, a vocal session for a jazz funk um, uh, band, you know, instrumental band, and and uh, they had written a song that they needed vocals for. One of the girls of of, of Birmingham that they knew because I had a little following, I suppose, in Ferrari, the band that I was with it. But I did this back this this vocal session for this band. The band was called Medium Wave, and and I went back and. They took the stuff because you know they wanted to to deal with London and and you know uh, get a, a production company going or a management from from London to help them with their career. So I you know they got called to do some some showcase gigs down in London, and they liked them. They liked the band and everything else and thought that you know they were really good. But they wanted to see them with a focal point, and because you know they were just musicians, and because I'd done the session, I went down and did some some about three sort of um, showcase gigs with them. They had got um, uh, David Grant's manager to come and check them out because that's who they were dealing with at the time, a gentleman named um, Brian Freshwater. He came, liked what he saw with me on board. Uh, And the more he saw, then said to David and Sketch, because they were still links at that time, come and check out this girl, come and check out this girl. Did a couple more gigs down there and liked what I had to offer. Now, they liked the band, but they also liked... Brian also liked me you at, more. <laughs> you know, they like I you they, more, I, didn't I, they? I think they were gonna take the, the both of them, but they, yes, I they they like me more. And so they started, and that's where Derek Bramble came into because he was also a part of the Brian and the, the, the um, Derek and David that that the management team. Okay, so they started to work with me, with the obviously the uh, provider of getting a, a recording deal. I did a few de- semi- demos and stuff like that. I got signed to EMI eventually. And I think it was, like, 1984, all right? The first album was called Heaven Knows, which had, you know, things like Round and Around on it, and I think you know, Could It bees and stuff like that on there. Um, and, and it sort of went from there. Now, I'm thinking I'm probably going to be here for five minutes,
0: and that's all. What, do why, you know? did, why did you think <laughs> that? Because clearly if you've been, like, gigging for a decade... Mm and then you have the confidence to step right up and do those showcases in London, you must have thought, I've got something here.
1: Well, I, I did, darling, but the industry, the industry is kind of fickle anyway, you know, so it's all depending on your next hit. You know, you, you're only as good as you, the last hit you done. Do you understand what I mean? So we, but we started to record, and we, and we had some stuff from the album, and we re- obviously released it. Um, people took it to their hearts, but that was without the hun- the, the 100% from the record company because EMI really was a rock and pop orientated record label that didn't really know what to do with a you know, black British female doing the, the, as they called British soul back then. So, uh, but, but radio, people like Tony Blackburn and them, you know, heard this, and took it to that thinking, who is this girl? And, and, you know, back then you had to do some record sales, let me tell you. So it wasn't unusual to do something like 200,000 just to get into the top 40, let alone, it, yeah, Sales, physical sales, wow, yeah. and we used to get a midweek position and stuff like that like right I think we the, and, and you get a, a prediction of, of where your chart positions were okay we did I think this was on my first national and international solo hit right? which was round and around, right now, when round and around was released, management kept saying, you know we need to do a video and get everything in place, obviously for TV and stuff like that and and so on promotions record company says nah nah we don't need to spend the money don't need to spend the money but at the time there were people like Zig Zig Spotnik, Brother Beyond on the label and so on and they were the priorities <laughs> alright so so I wouldn't priority which I heard somewhere down the line so many years later that basically they thought well we she's just um, a disco act it will sell itself so they didn't need to put to put any money and that's the way they were you know their philosophy were looking at it but on that um, round and around single that came out um, we, we the, the sales were so busy that it was tipped to be in the top 40, like, yes, yeah, something like 30-odd, whatever, on the first week of release, first or second week of release. So, they, you know, they're you know, we've got to do something because, you know, this video, and Tupple Pops at that time used to have a thing called The Breakers. Yeah. Okay, so they, it just shows you who's bubbling under, you know, and, they, and they're going to be on, right? And we didn't have a video. So they so the record company said, "Oh, quick, quick, quick! We better send in to do a minute and a half video." It's like, well, why not do a whole video? Yeah. What well, minute? What well, minute and a half. and we got into the breakers and baby that breakers we flew then and I think we went into the top twenty then, yeah. which then they had to go back and then do a full video. Good. Uh, yes,
0: and I imagine at that time then, so it would have been like Bruno Brooks doing the charts oh, and all that sort of thing. Yes. Simon Mayo, all them were around. Oh, Simon oh, Mayo yes. would have just started out yes. in the mid uh, 80s in Radio One. Yes. So you were going in and out of studios, meeting these yes. people as well. Yes. Uh, what was that like? And just to be, you know, and
1: the thing is, freak. What freaked us out was to hear hear it on the radio when you're driving down to London in a car that you know was leaking, especially if it was raining, because the winds could we heard a little banging you know, or that we used to. <laughs> Most of that was on on the, the bus and so on, but it, just to hear that and to freak, and to meet these iconic sort of DJs at the time uh, and and the way they embraced me and the song and it was a sound of like summer they, it had a nostalgia and a sound to it that I think has not dated it still stands the test of time and it, but it, but for us of our, our age group, it takes us back to that time, and what a lovely romantic then and, and even then, I wasn't still thinking, you know, I'm a part of people's history. And you see, I just thinking, I'm on TV. Oh, and uh, obviously, doing the first sort of TVs, I was with David and stuff. So he, he, he was used to doing that kind of thing. And so I was tagging on his sort of coattail, just just thinking, wow. And I'm, I'm going and thinking, Top saying that big, is it? Because it is a really tiny studio. They just made it look huge by the camera angles and stuff. So was I was freaking out. I was freaking out and and i had a little girl at the time so you know it's a case of when i was doing anything she was always a part of it so she could see learn girlfriend because i said i might only be there for five minutes but and but i thought you know i'd like to have the talent to be around for a long time but it all depends on if you know the, the, your, your music that people you know take to your music and stuff like that and they did god loves them hit
0: after hit girlfriend. <laughs> It's interesting you talk about how um, getting into the charts is all about the record sales. People physically getting on the bus, going to HMV and other record stores, and buying that record and bringing it home and putting it on, you know, on the machine to play the record player. Because that's so different from today, where it's downloads, quick, a uh, quick few clicks on the phone and it's on your phone but to me it feels like you know that the record sales of back in the 80s were, were way more important and way more significant because yes. people made that conscious yes. effort to support it's you
1: the yeah. Physically went out and purchased that, you know, single or album or whatever it is there. And phys- I mean, the the amount of time you're like, "Oh, I've got your, can you sign it for me?" It's like, oh, and you look back and think, "Oh Lord, look at the hair, <laughs> look at you, and all that yeah. kind of thing." But that's exactly how how it, how it felt back then. And it how just, does that make you feel but online? I I don't understand downloads and stuff. I'm, you know, so technology today compared to you know, I I haven't got a clue, darling. So to think that people physically did that, I appreciate them so much. So
0: much. Now, um, you were really big in Japan, and um, I want to hear some more about that because a lot of us won't know. Because obviously, you know, we're here in Britain, we, we've heard about you, we know you're a British soul, le- soul legend, but your success was huge in Japan as well, wasn't it?
1: Baby girl, uh, you know, back then, we're, we're going into the 90s now, okay? I'd left EMI, I think, about 87 or something like that. And and I and, and Derek had gone to America, and you know, and and I felt like I was in limbo because we we had like, you know, to hear that you're in the Guinness Book of Records, okay, for the you know British black female, you know, to consecutive hits, six consecutive. It's like really now. I didn't know that until, that, but I was thinking back then that that was international, you know. But I was thinking Europe, Scandinavia, something like that. But to find out in the 90s when I, there was a there's a um, a, a music industry uh, conference thing that goes on um, in January. It's an annual thing in Meadham, and that's where record companies go and source new you know products and writers and that kind of thing. And writers look for new uh, anyway. Um, I I did some demos and stuff and, I, and the company took it to to um, to Medium. talked to a Japanese company. And the Japanese company said, oh, yeah, because well, yeah, it was some dance company that, that, that I did something with. And they started to play something. Oh, I like, really like it, really like it. Who else have you got? They said, well, we, we've got this lady on here. Um, and I'd recorded coming to, my, uh, coming to My Life, something like that. Yeah. And, I, and that's... They heard, they said, who is this lady? I said, uh, Jackie Graham. And they went, Jackie Graham? The Jackie Graham? The Breaking Away Jackie Graham? And they said, well, yeah. He says we'd like to see like, anyway I got signed this company called Avex on the cutting edge label Jap- Japan okay they, so I go over now to, because I'd recorded an album called Real Life uh, and then I went over to. they took me over to Japan and I come to, come to Japan I say hi everybody I'm a new girl in town my name's Jackie Graham and you know I hope you like this new product well that's uh, well why have you never been here I said beg your pardon and they started to quote all the, the the tracks on the album, the two albums. I'm going, you knew my stuff, and it pinch, pinched. I said, so I, that's when I'm really what I'm saying is that's when it hit me that I was seriously international, because you know I took to America American stuff, but you know to go to that part of the world, yes. Asia, and to find out that people were aware of you, well, tours were selling out within 20 minutes. I'm going, I beg your pardon, outselling people like Janet Jackson and Whitney. I'm going, no, nah, man, this ain't true, this ain't true, pinch, pinch. i loved every minute of it and once again took the kids with me so you know granted because i wanted to see to learn to go this is another phase now we're in another decade and you know and this is still happening and looking what you know the reaction that the japanese and the the audiences have and the love they were giving me darling the love they were giving me and you i can't help but get overexcited. You know, they just lived my space, and I had a wonderful time. And even now, I mean, I still get you know, um, still keep in touch with the record company, even though I'm not no longer with them. And the staff still send me Christmas cards and stuff like that. So, you know, you know, it's just lovely to make a mark. And I think I was the first international um, signing for the Japanese
0: um, back then. Just wanna. Get you to talk a little bit more about your working relationship and your friendship with the legendary Michael McDonald because again, <laughs> if you remember him in the '80s, the amount of his songs Baby, that I know, used to sing to—I never know to <laughs> Michael McDonald looked like. Did you, not? Did you I, not? I was a
1: big fan of the Doobie Brothers. Okay, you know, I, yeah. yeah you okay, that's the- where I knew the voice. Yeah. That I, cu- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. That so meant, when you that first the met him, voice, yeah. Now. No, I, I need to take this, this story, okay? Now, I had watched a, a documentary on Quincy Jones, yeah. and that's when I first saw Michael McDonald. He was doing a, a song with James Ingram. Oh, Yam will be there. Oh, oh all right. Oh, okay. And I'm going, and I see them in the studio, and I'm here thinking, that's Michael McDonald? Yeah. James Ingram? Oh, my gosh. Well, a few months later, uh, he then had a, a hit with um, Patty LaBelle, yes. the song On My Own. Oh baby girl, oh baby girl, And I said to you know my hobby my I said, I said, I said Tony, if I'm not working, Michael McDonald's coming over. He's touring, you know. Anyway, you know, we can get tickets and stuff like that. Uh, you know. So I left it at that, and I left it with him and everything else. Well, girlfriend, let me tell you something. I said, Either the gig was on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I heard about it the day before, so it's a okay. case like we got it. Tony says, got a call. We got it. We got, it. We, we, you know, Michael McDonald. I said, I'm oh, going to see Michael. You know. Here in my hometown, right at the Birmingham Odeon, then the man said to me, "No, he realised, He said, "No, you're singing with him." I went, "I beg your pardon." <laughs> now this is the day before no way. girlfriend and nearly us a divorce. Let me tell you, I said, "Who in the heck? Which part of me could go sing like like Patti Labelle? What's wrong with you? Ting 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 ting." <laughs> But you pulled it out of the bag anyway, didn't you? You know, he he made a memory and a friendship that has stood the test of time. So for you know, so, and that was about eighty-seven. I'm thinking, you, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna sing with this iconic voice. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, we got to the old in the, the following day, um, and he was he was doing sound tech with his with his band, and I'm thinking, oh my god. I was in, I was in, awe. it was awesome. Just and we were in the auditorium, and and it's a good job we don't spoke. And Tony had a packet of, um, of mints, and i and he's like, give me the mints, give me the mints, give me the mints. <laughs> <laughs> so and we was so, and then then Michael says, is Jackie here? Uh, and then Tony said, t- t- and he's warning me, saying, now go up there and you you know, you've got to be positive, and you, you, know, you, you know, you, he's chosen you for a reason, and you know, you go up there and you, you know know what you're talking about anyway the first thing I go up and I greet the, everybody and I greet the band the band looking at me and I'm saying hello to everybody they're so sweet and I'm saying you alright Michael nice to meet you darling and everything else and he says oh yeah you know And is is the song alright for you is the key alright for you no I, I ain't got a clue what key I singing like I ain't got a clue all I know is I can't sing like Patti LaBelle but God love him he said do you want to try I said, well, and I'm going well well, well ha, you know play and have a listen and see what you think okay we're well, with that I, and I, I'm just going mmm this is the first one you just, and the, I'm looking at the band and they're looking at me thinking ooh ooh that's sounding alright already and then I'm looking at Michael then he said so many times said it and then I started to sing the t- and, I'm, and I'm when I say nerves girlfriend I'd never known nerves like it and I'm always nervous when I do anything but back you can imagine okay yeah, yeah. sang the song Michael and he's smile smiling his face and the band is smiling and I'm going and then we do the song and everything else and he says was that all right for you and I'm going and and just but I'm I'm listening to this man's voice coming back to me through the fallback yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just hit me right in the chest I, the warmth of his voice anyway did the oh my well I wasn't looking at it like that all right baby girl well the night came and I did and you know and he introduced me and I said and I'm thinking okay the the rapture you know applause and stuff when he when he mentioned my name and he's looking and and I get out and I'm I'm walking out on stage with a microphone and I'm just humming the first section of the, you know coming out and um, anyway, i anyway started to sing the song the the applause and the ovation I got then afterwards and he said you know this is your own homegrown girl. Jackie Graham, you know, and everything else. I thank Tony. I do thank him, even though I was cursing him at the time, <laughs> to say <laughs> what what you done that for. But he's been a, a friend, and my kids them calling him Uncle Mike, and and since then, you know, he's got his kids. I met his wife and his mom on that first tour, his cousins and stuff like that. So I, the, the, the whole family and the whole band, and you know, embraced me and said, you know, listen, we we're, we're traveling. Would you like to travel with us on the coach? And was very, you know, opening and but they were so warm and I said well I've got my daughter with me and, and uh, I, you know I don't want to disturb you and everything and he said listen we're all family people here come on you know and so hence the reason and the friendship and he's co-written stuff for me for my previous albums was and was stuff ask,
0: mm. I was going to ask you he sounds like a very gracious considerate <laughs> man and, and so clearly from that incredible experience 30 years ago yes, this year really um, you've
1: worked with him since Oh, yes, on many cases. And he, you know, I was meant to do a duet with him. But at the time, he was he was traveling and he'd written this song. Um, uh, and he wasn't able to do it with me. But I, I actually sang the duet with James Ingram's brother, wow. which is Philip Ingram. Yeah. All right? Now, all these, sixty degrees, seven, because all these people, I mean, obviously, I've worked with James since then, courtesy of Sir Cliff Richard. I got to work with people like... James Ingram, you know, and, and met people like Frida Payne. I covered one of her songs in the 90s, Band of Gold, Frida Payne, which I was telling Frida, you know, Percy Sledge. you know, and at and, and some point in my career, I was signed to Motown as well. I ended up meeting Curtis Sir Cliff. I ended up meeting um, Lamont Dozier, who was one of the writers, Holland, Dozier and Holland. Yeah, back in the day, was involved in, I, th- I think he was said his 51 number one Motown hits, you know, so I was with these iconic people. So six degrees of separation, and I, I'd met James's um, wife years ago at Michael's house with with Amy, Michael's wife, because it was a, um, a baby shower. And so, so I knew the wife years before I even met, you know, James. So there's all these things that have gone on in my life, darling. That um, you know, I'm so
0: grateful. I'm so grateful, cheek. You have incredible talent. That is what has propelled you. And actually let me take you back to an age where you remembered the first time you thought mm, i could make a career of this i want to start singing i want to go out gigging you know the little girl from birmingham i mean where did your drive come from to want to pursue such a career now through this conversation you hear me talking about tony don't
1: you yeah. now tony back then was um my boyfriend okay uh, we, we three schools got together in Birmingham became Lady Comprehensive a boys school a girls school which I was at a boy's, and he was in the mixed school and the, the three schools became Lady Comprehensive okay so I'm talking about I was probably about 15 14, 15 you know like that and I, I used to little, do little songs and stuff at school like concerts and things or or you know in musical you know, musical plays and stuff like that and Tony was always there okay I left school and it's Tony that got me into my singing career. Way back then, there was a and 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 uh, because of a mixed relationship and everything, I was brought up by my grandmother, in Hansworth, okay, and and I wasn't allowed out, so I was very very sheltered. So our going out together was was him, you know, coming to our house seven nights a week. So he'd come to our black area, right, and and seven nights a week, and and he was kind of well. He wouldn't say that now, but still, but, you know, <laughs> he's still God bless him, looking after him and everything else, along with, my, with the kids, you know. But back then, there was an ad in our local Birmingham evening mail, and it was for a singer, a soul singer. And he was late coming to our house one night, and Granny was saying, well, where's Tony tonight? Uh, and what he did, he was calling and making arrangements to have an audition for this band. And that's really how... And then I did the audition and everything else. And so what I'm saying to you is, my whole career, he has been my driving force. And now my children have grown up and my daughter's co-managed me with, with her dad. So she's like a driving force. So I've never really had... Although I had this little talent. I, I knew I had it. Yeah, I, I was quietly confident in what I was doing. But I don't have the push or the drive, okay? Uh, and, and it was them throughout my whole career... So he was the one that started me off in this musical in, you know, music industry.
0: What a lovely story. What a lovely story.
1: Because, you know, I, like I said, you said, know, I don't have the, the confidence. I, yeah, I do, but I wouldn't push myself forward. So, I, you know... A little gentle nudge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A little gentle nudge from yeah. Tony. Yeah. And now your daughter Natalie just helping yeah. you along yeah. and keeping you, you know, keeping a, what is what has been an extraordinary career Brilliant. Brilliant. going
1: which fabulous. Because when I thought, you know, my time has come and it's, you know, I maybe mean, should ease back, you know, the youngsters are coming up, but the youngsters are looking at me in, within the industry, you know, and saying, Auntie Jackie, because I'm, you know, Auntie Jackie, you know, could you do this, you know, and so on, and still keeping me alive. And then with Natalie going out, you know, across the world and promoting and, and you know, as a managerial role and, and finding out that the youngsters, she would mention their names, it's like, your mom's who? And, you know, I know her back in the, when they were only babies and their parents were, you know, were sort of into what I was doing. And so, the, you know, they, I didn't realise how known I was and how much of a mark I'd made within the industry. You're still
0: making a mark. <laughs> I was super excited listening to your story about you singing with Michael McDonald. Um, at the Birmingham Odeon, which is now a cinema. It used to be one of the premier uh, centres for concerts in the city. Yeah. That same year, I was a massive fan of Go West, and I saw their concert at the Odeon. They they did the last gig for the Odeon shut oh, as really? a concert venue. Oh. Yeah, and my mum took me, because I was only little, I was like 16. Um but you said before we started the interview that you knew these guys. And I was thinking, well, of course you did, because in the 80s and mid-80s at that time, you were famous, they were famous, you were always in the charts, all of you. And you know them very well, Peter yeah. Cox and Richard Drummond. Please tell me about that. Yeah, well, you know something, how it comes about,
1: another 60 good separation, management that we had back then was in Harley House in H- Malabon, OK? And their management were in the same offices... As, as As ours, so we I like to think we we started out together, so we're talking about eighty three eighty four okay the boys were recording their album and 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 and, and we were listening to each other 's demos, and you know the management and everything else, and I knew the boys you know really and that you, you got to we were like family. Because when I say when I say their office is in the door and you a few hundred yards was their the, the management office, so we were all together at the same time. So we were li- looking out for each other's chart positions, and you know, and then you know, and who's going on the chart, so who's going to go get get to a certain position first, and all the rest of it, and and to know. And to think that the boy, we're still hanging out with the boys now, yeah. and you know, and they, they, we call them friends, and they are friends, and we've come from the same place together, and we're still out there doing our thing, darling, and
0: at the rewind gigs as <laughs> oh, well. Yes. You meet them at the, oh, some yes. of the rewind gigs, don't you? These big, huge 1980s gatherings. <laughs> Uh, really exciting you're back on some of those this year aren't you
1: that's right yeah I'm doing uh, quite a few festivals and stuff like that so I'm rubbing really sure with the boys all the time and you know we're just catching up and you know making up for lost time and everything else but when you get together it's like you, you know you hadn't really been apart so you know we've got something to talk about all the all, the, all of them back in the day you know the, you got the Nick Haywoods, you got the Nick yeah I mean you got everybody you get the toys and all Everybody, you know, so Linda Carlisle. There's all sorts of people, um, Billy Ocean, and people like that. I'm meeting like, you know,
0: so it's like, oh my gosh, so plenty to talk about. Plenty to talk. About. What a dreamy, dreamy life, yeah. dreamy life. So um, lots of fans coming out to see you at the Rewind Festivals mm-hmm. this year. Um, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are. You mentioned about um, some of the newer artists remembering your music when they were kids. What do you think about the kind of music at the moment and some of the um, the TV shows that kind of propel people from um, obscurity into fame, like The Voice and The X Factor? What, do you th- what are your thoughts on those t- types of TV shows? Well, you know, darling,
1: it's a quick hit, you know. Uh, uh, I, I think you. Know, I don't get to watch all, all the time, so and when, I, when you do, you're thinking... Sometimes the kids... The kids get hurt by I mean, but you know whether they're being truthful or maybe too truthful, or the kids are not prepared for what because and the but the parents are thinking that the the kid their kids. I mean, we all think our kids are great, you know, and I think it's maybe too much sometimes. And then and then I've met a a few of them along the way, obviously doing shows and stuff like that. Not uh, hearing name and and finding out what their background is and where they come from, and I'm trying to say to them listen to auntie Jackie darling enjoy you, you're believing your talent and all the rest of it uh, you know uh, uh, but don't believe the hype you you know be sure you're grounded whats your family like you know make sure that you, because there's sharks out there and all the rest of it, all the things that go on within the industry and stuff like that but that you know people are making money out of you you know you want to make sure that you do it for you know for the love of it as well as you want um, when you are you know making hay while the sun shines. Remember, you know, because we're not here forever, and and some of those kids when they start to fall, you know, because we all we're all going up at the same, and we meet the same people coming down, be, you know, be careful, you know, have manners, and you know, and all the, the things that a, a, a parent would say, and I'm saying it as a parent to them. You know, remember, uh, but I've met some of these kids, and I'm thinking, oh, when I go back to doing to the places that I've, I've met them and everything, and, and they've been back there, I'm going, how? Oh, you had yeah, sons again. How's the babies? them doing and everything. Oh, well, they've become right divas now. Oh, and I'm thinking, oh no, don't tell me that. Uh, and then, and when they do fall from grace, it, you know, they fall hard. They fall hard, and, that, and that's what I'm. That's what I feel pain for them. I am because I came into the industry thinking that I was only going to here for four, for like five minutes, and that's how I I had to think of it that way, and I didn't believe. Yeah, all right, I've got something to offer. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you love it, and I you know and I love what I do for you, and, and, and I'm getting as much out of it as you are, because I want to give you the love because you give me something. But and that's what I'm trying to say to the kids, uh, um, and you know and you coming to the real because they've got the best of everything on the TV. When they, so when they now come into the clubs and the, the whatever it is they're, they're doing, the sound might not be quite the same, and all the rest of it, and, and they can't handle it. So they haven't done their apprenticeship, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Where I would like to, think that's I came from doing my, you know, I was I was lugging gear, so I was a glorified roadie as well as you know, you know, with the boys and the band and everything. So I was with
0: drum kits and sound system and stuff. I did all that. You know, we've had a lot of since you a lot of other black British female singers who've had stardom and then the record labels have let them go. And so there still seems to be some sort of an issue, don't know what, in terms of how to progress a black British female singer's career. And it seems that the, the girls who are doing well at the moment are those who have taken, to use that phrase, taken back control. You know, if you think about Lady Alicia, okay. the grime um, artist... Um, and, you know, Laura Mavula's taken back control uh, from leaving Sony and so on and so forth. Is that maybe it, having more of a, a personal handle on your career and your direction? Do you think maybe that's a, a clue to, to how to handle things? You know something? I, I think you,
1: you have to be aware. You have to be aware how to play the game. Back then, I hadn't a clue, all right? So you have to rely on, you're hoping that you're around the right people, that's going to steer in the right direction and not have a hidden agenda. I met a lot of people that had a hidden agenda. All right, darling. Um, I didn't profess to know enough about the industry. I just wanted to sing. That's what I wanted to do. I've learned a lot. Once again, apprenticeship. You know, you learn and thinking, well, well nobody would hurt you because they want, you know, if you're doing well, they're doing well. You understand what I mean? But it, at the time, it's, not, it's all about what they can get from you now. Do you, you know what uh, so to, to be able and be aware and know where you want to go and how you want to market yourself and how you that's the control I was very fortunate i had I chose and had some songs that has probably like i said i've, I've said stood the test of time and it's kept me there so the choices i've made and the songs I've done after that point. People have embraced as well. So, but I always get nervous when I do new product. and new you know, because it's a case of like, they all know you for what you did then, but you're only as good as your last hit, okay? And you, and although you still feel you got the talent, I feel that I've got so much more to offer, and I need the right people around me to guide me to the right, right place at the right time. Do you understand what I mean? Um, So, because I'm still
0: learning, that's really what I'm trying to say. I'm still learning and I'm still growing. I love hearing you say that, actually. And let's talk about your new music. You're working on new music. You're also working... Can I say About your book. You're working on a book. Because all of these memories that you're sharing with me, I was just thinking, whoa, this would be fantastic in an autobiography. So let's talk about those projects and where you are at these stages with your music and with your book. Well, you know, it, for a long time I felt as if I had
1: nothing to say. You know, uh, you know, I would... but, But... I've got some songs now, darling, and and I've got some people writing some good writers and stuff. And I, you know, I I write as well. People like Michael McDonald, who's co-written for me. Maurice White has co-written a song. He, God rest his soul, you know, he's no longer. But there's, you know, so uh, you know, there's some nice writers on there, and some nice. the song that I've chosen is a story to tell, and it's my life and how things have, you know, so which I think people can relate to. Everything you, everything you hear, you can interpret for your own in your own life and, and so on, so I feel that and I hope that what i 've chosen and how we 've we've, we've, we've done the songs, people will embrace because I always get nervous when especially when there 's a new project um, that you know because as far as i 'm concerned i 'm starting from scratch again each time I do something, hence the reason i 'm still learning i 'm still growing, so I hope that the new album. Um, that people will like the songs and the stories I have to tell within this album.
0: And um, when was your last album out then?
1: Uh, actually, the, the, actually, I, you know, with all of that, you know, people don't hear from me. But I've been, I've been still working. I've been still recording and doing TVs and stuff like that. Uh, I think 2009 or 10, I did a, uh, um, a show with the BBC Big Band at the town hall. Okay, I got called. Asked if I'd like to do some Gershwin. So, so it's not just the soul, but it's it's soul meets, I think, Gershwin and stuff like that, right? And so to work with a big band uh, was awesome. To have you know, a, I don't know, twenty-piece band, you know, brought... I, I, but the people that when I did this the show in the um, town hall, it was it was Gershwin. Okay, now people don't. I don't take it for granted. Every time I do something, that people know who I am. As far as I'm concerned, I'm introducing myself to people all the time. If you know my history and you, like, then that's all well and good. But I'm, I'm introducing myself. I'm saying, you know, but the Gershwin thing was another audience again because they w- weren't always aware of who I was. They were fans of Gershwin and the Big Band. Okay, so now to be introduced to them, and, and thinking, this is another avenue and a, and, a, and a, a main thing, a big thing for me to tackle you know, and then a few years later, they asked me again to do um, Duke Ellington. So, so, but I thought, I and that was something else I was very, very nervous about, because these music, uh, they're, they're very critical in how they do. You can interpret it to a certain degree, but then you have these certain things, you a note you have to do that is integral to the, to the song. So it was another learning curve for me. Again, what did I say?
0: Always learning. How how did your interpretation of Gershwin and um, the other big band music, how did your interpretation go down with the audiences? Oh, my gosh, girlfriend.
1: This is what I'm going to tell you now. Because it wasn't my audience as such, okay? So I was being critiqued at every minute, you know, like I said, because they weren't my fans. But the, the endorsement I got was afterwards, the fans of the big band and of Gershwin, of that sound, said to me, you know something, I didn't know who you were and it's an older audience as well, you know it's across the board, but older audience but I didn't know um, who you were but I know who you are now and you should do more of this stuff because your voice suits it and I'm just telling you this and I already I can feel my, my heart just, I think it, oh, that's the biggest endorsement I can get my darling, because they embraced me and embraced how, you know, how I interpreted how, what I had to offer and that was what was wonderful that's what it was
0: for we want to hear more of that then. <laughs> so, new album, that's looking like next year, 2018. And um, your book coinciding with that as well, do you think? Yes, I think that, yeah,
1: because, yeah, for the longest time, people have been saying, for a good few years, people say, you know, you ought to, you know, you ought to write this down and, you know, put your autobiography up again. But I've got nothing to tell anybody, you know. I mean, and, and people who have only been here two minutes have done autobiographies, and I'm probably on the second or third. And I'm thinking, well, and but for years, the years that people said you should... Well, yes, OK, and, and I think the new album and the, the, the autobiography is going to be all encumbersome. So, yes, it's going to be from, you know, from us growing up, from my relationship, my family, especially the industry. So I'm hoping that it will help people within the you know, kids growing up with whatever it is and how it was back then, what it is now and how we progress within the industry doing what we're doing and stuff like that. So it's going to be, uh, you know, what's and all. Warts and all, I think you know, not too many warts because they might send me to court or something. But you know, <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, it's, it's going to be, a, and I hope that people it will help somebody along the way somewhere.
0: Yeah, Jackie, can I say thank you so much? Not not just for this interview, but thank you for bringing me years of pleasure through my teenage years in my bedroom on my own, in Birmingham, singing along to songs, listening to you on the radio, seeing on the telly. And I know everyone listening will be thinking exactly the same. Like, thank you for bringing us so many years of fantastic music. And it's so good to hear that you are doing so much still. And there's much more from you to come.
1: I'm still learning, still growing. Marvin, you've been an absolute... But listen, girlfriend, I've been watching your career too, you know. So let me tell you, I got my eye on you. So we we're, we're all in it together, darling. And yeah. this has been a pleasure. I know I waffle on a bit, but no. um, I you know I, I hope that. We, but we're gonna we're talking even when we finish this. We're still talking. We're still chatting. But thank you so much for this, girlfriend. Thank I you. Hope thank finds you. It interesting. Thank you so much. I'm nearly in
0: tears here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, darling. what a legend you know Jackie made my life as a teenager she was right in there with all the other music that I loved and adored and knowing she was from Birmingham made me feel even prouder of her made me believe that uh, you know I could I could make it in life whatever I put my mind to wow okay click on all the links I've added to the description so you can follow Jackie online buy her music find out where she's playing gigs and all that stuff Thanks ever so much for listening. It was a real pleasure. Come back soon and listen to more Quintessential Voices, won't you? Bye for now.